Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What does Mississippi State's selections for SEC Media Days say about the directions this fall? What is going on with the Major League Baseball draft and the Diamond Dogs? And the NCAA transfer portal's got two more days to go. Will Mississippi State be able to keep boosting the roster? Let's talk about it all here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray, back for another edition of the Doghouse, brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Well, as you know, the Major League Baseball draft is fully underway. Today is the final day. It started about 30 minutes ago with the 10th through 20th rounds. And things were moving quickly. As of the 11th round, no Bulldogs had been selected, nor signees, nor likely transfers. But that could easily change as things goes on. State has several players like Kellum Clark and Amani Larry, who would hope to hear their names called today. And we certainly would expect them to be moving on. Uh, more interesting, of course, is what's happening at the top of the draft after the first two days and where it stands with a couple of Diamond Dog current players and mostly signees as well. But first, let's talk about football because yesterday the Southeastern Conference announced the lineup for SEC Media Days. Now, schools picked them, and we knew that Will Rogers would be one of the guys. Uh, MSU Media Relations declined to tell us who the other two were because Zach Arnett still had to make some decisions. And the SEC office wanted to be the ones to break the news. Well, when you're paying that kind of money to the various schools, you get that kind of clout. So they made their announcements. Joining Rodgers will be defensive lineman Jaden Crumity, a two-timer now for media days last year in Atlanta, this year in Nashville. And the interesting pick of the day, Jaquavius Marks, running back. And we'll talk about exactly why this is interesting as we get on into this show. Of course, Zach Arnett will be making his first appearance at Media Days as first as a full-time head coach. Fortunately, he has a win under his belt already from the LiQuest Bowl, so he'll be able to carry that into Media Days talk with a little more confidence maybe than your normal first-year coach does. By the way, the SEC office apparently does have a sense of humor because, unlike our expectations, they have paired Mississippi State with Auburn, which means that about 1 o'clock when the interview sequences start, uh, Mississippi State's uh, crew will be out there with their former athletic director, John Cohen, who is now representing Auburn, not to mention former Ole Miss coach Hugh Freeze. Um, as far as we know, Steve Robertson won't be covering media days. He'll be leaving that duty to me, but uh, you got to think Steve's a little intrigued to have a talk with old Hugh and vice versa. Okay, having a little fun there, but yeah, it could get a little awkward for John as he meets the Mississippi State people, including myself. But uh, more interesting, of course, is how the Bulldogs will be speaking for the program when they're there. And most of all, to me, again, Jacobius Marks, which is the core of today's story. But first, while we're thinking of it, let's get back to our sponsor, Bet Online. It's your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and match reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting in your favorite casino and card games, available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Well, Mississippi State is starting a different type of offensive game this fall with the change from Mike Leach as both head coach and quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. Now you have Kevin Barbet as your offensive coordinator bringing a more balanced 
type of offense. And when we say balance, I want to keep stressing because we'll use that phrase often. It doesn't mean what most people think it means. And it certainly doesn't mean that Barbe comes into a situation force-fitting players to meet his ideas of a run-pass balance. Instead, as we learned in spring, we suspected it already from his work at Appalachian State and other places, but confirmed it in spring, Kevin Barbe will take the personnel he has and fit his offense around it. Well, the offense that he has this coming season, it's got a senior offensive line, by and large, a bunch of guys who played a lot of football out there, primarily impressed protection the last couple of years, but State did run the ball when they ran fairly effectively at times last year, and to be blunt, offensive linemen love charging ahead. Yes, they know in the NFL you make your money past protection in most cases, but in college ball, you get to do what you've been doing since you were first put in down stance position and told you're not going to touch the ball, well, unless you're a center, you're going to drive people off the ball, and that's what State's offensive linemen we're doing a lot more of in spring, and they looked good doing it in the process as well. Of course, Will Rogers has set all kind of passing records, and he'll certainly be talking about that in media days, as he should. I think he owns right now three SEC records outright, and he has every chance to set a bunch of other career records. Now, as we talked about in yesterday's announcement, because of the changing way the offense operates, he will probably not set as many career records as he could because State's going to run the ball more. I don't think Rodgers minds that a bit because if it works out as we hope it does, and in fact as we expect it does, his efficiency and big play potential will increase in this offense, and it won't just be a bunch of uh, completions, attempts, yardage totals, which are all well and good. But you certainly ought to see a climb in explosive plays, hopefully in touchdowns, and most of all, in wins. And Rodgers is absolutely good with that. But to do that, we'll be in a change to running the ball, and Mississippi State intends to run the ball this fall. And that's what gets me around to the pick of Jaquavius Marks. Now, in my own predictions, I thought they would take Rodgers, Crumity, and probably one of the linebackers. As you know, Nate uh, Watson and Jet Johnson were one and two in SEC tackles last year, both very good spokesmen, and both seniors as well, and Watson has been in the media days. But the wild card turned out to be Marks. Now, Mississippi State and, and Zarnett have not come out and said why they're taking Marks, and, and believe me, I have no complaints about it because I've done enough interviews with Woody over the years. He can handle himself in front of a mic, so there's no problem there. And bluntly, his career stats, they match up kind of nicely. I think 2,300 total career yards, catching and running. And this is on the catching so far, but up to now, you expect to see more running. Uh, let's see, he's got, I think, um, what, 21 career touchdowns already? So he's got a lot it just in just from what he's done in the air raid offense to boost his case. But now Mississippi State intends to run the ball more, so I do not think at all it's a coincidence that Marks has been selected for media day's duty. And what it signals, uh, by the way, um, I was looking through the list of all 42 players coming from the 14 SEC schools and two interesting facts in offense. Only five quarterbacks, Rodgers, of course, being one of them, um, you can name the usual suspects coming from LSU, who will probably be your first team All-SEC selection. Um, Arkansas as well will be contending. But you got to think Rodgers should pick up some votes for All-SEC preseason. But there are only four running backs going, and they're coming from, again, LSU, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, as well as Mississippi State. 
Now, parenthetically, we could say that's kind of a reflection on what has happened to the value overall of pure running backs in the modern game of college football as well as the NFL. But still, running the ball is still a way to set things up to win in college football as the explosive passing plays come because defenses have to respect the run. Well, defenses have not had to respect the run at Mississippi State now for three years, and that's about to change which again gets back to the selection of Barks to speak for Mississippi State. I think it's sending a signal out there to any and all who are willing to listen, both friends and foes, this is a sing- signal. It's a symbol. It's saying that State's going to run the ball, and here's the guy that's going to lead the list. And, of course, uh, Mark's statistics last year were solid, despite being in the air raid, and despite the fact that he was basically 50-50-ing with Dylan Johnson and some plays for Simeon Price thrown in there plus the fact that Marks was not entirely healthy all season long. In fact, I still recall that August practice afternoon, we were out one of those days at Leach let us watch the whole practice and saw Marks go off the field favoring a leg. Well, that leg never entirely healed, even in the bowl game. Of course, if you watched this week when Mississippi State had its SEC takeover on the network, the last game played was the 2022 Egg Bowl, And you saw how well Marks and Johnson ran the ball, but the fact that repeatedly Marks had to come out with a hand and wrist problem there. But when he was in, he was making really good runs. So you see the potential. Even in the air raid, he proved he could run the ball. Well, now in a different odd type of offense, Jaquavius Marks has the complete skill set to really run the ball. He's got a senior offensive line in front of him to help him run the ball. And, of course, he's got Will Rogers' threat of passing guys like Justin Robinson, Tulu Griffin, any and all out there, not to mention the fact that tight ends are now part of the offense as well. This really should set Marks up for a solid season if he stays healthy. He's had trouble doing that all through his career. But when he is healthy, in fact, even when he's not fully healthy, the guy makes things happen in the run game, and that's what Mississippi State is expecting this year. You know, I'm writing a piece about uh, the run game as a whole going into the season. Now, let's make totally clear. There's one thing that really needs to be understood. It needs to be understood simply because we don't say it often enough, including myself. But the air raid remains in the offense. Zach Garnett has said that at alumni meetings, uh, talking to media and other um, settings ever since he took the job, and particularly in the offseason here. They're keeping the air raid elements in the playbook. Barbie likes it. There are many things in there that he is absolutely going to use, not just because it fits his own philosophy. It fits Will Rogers. It fits the receiver set that Mississippi State has. But the air raid is no longer the core to the offense. The running game is going to be what the passing game will build on now. It may be a little old-fashioned in today's game, but that's the fact. And State and, and Barbet have the personnel to do it. Yes, you wish that Dylan Johnson hung around, but then maybe not because, again, should Mark stay healthy? If he's getting 60 to 70% of the rushes there, he is going to have an all-SEC type season. Now, whether he would get it or not, well, that's always iffy because everybody's going to be staring at those running backs I've already mentioned from other schools. doesn't matter in that regard, but it's just here's a guy with 2,300 total yards and 21 touchdowns despite playing an air raid season. And that way, that's in 35 games. He belongs in these peers who should get all conference votes. He won't get any or many this coming week, 
and that's because people still have the idea that uh, he's just a receiver more than a running back. That's what the air raid, especially his freshman and sophomore years, left him branded as. Last year you saw Marks and Johnson, and to some extent Price, get more true carries. Maybe the biggest carry of the year being in overtime against Auburn when the draw play opens wide up in the middle and Auburn sits there and watches Marks just dash straight into the end zone to win the game. It showed what State could have done. And related to that, too, let's go back to the ReliQuest Bowl now with Leach passed on and Mississippi State a temporary offensive staff calling it. The winning, well, I say the go-ahead drive for the State's go-ahead points were set up by two big runs from Price. In fact, he darn nearly scored on the second one, uh, brought down just short of the goal with the time running out, so State wisely played to center the ball up for a go-ahead field goal, which would have won the game anyway. It certainly helped that a kickoff fumble return touchdown padded the margin a good bit, but you get the point. When State absolutely had to last year, they could and did run the ball. Now, though, this year, it's not one of those out of necessity. And let's think about it, too. What will an improved run game do for the entire offense? Again, I, sh- I try to stay away from thinking in terms of balance, even though, goodness knows, I write it often enough. You know, Mike Leach had his own philosophy on what balance was, and he wasn't thinking number of plays, thinking more like number of yards and scores. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of balance as far as scoring, I think State had something like uh, in the red zone, uh, 23 of the touchdowns were passing, only nine rushing. But now you would think in a red zone offensive system, the run becomes much more of a play. By the way, of all the rushing touchdowns State scored last year, okay, I didn't, what did I mean, 23, 23 passing touchdowns, right. State only scored 12 times running the ball. And only three times came from outside the red zone. That meant that the run game was simply not explosive at all last season. That's going to change this year. When you're scoring on running plays of more than 20 yards, well, all of a sudden, you have put the defense in the bind, the same kind of bind that Mississippi State has faced many years, playing much more balanced SEC offenses as well. So you add that element where State can score from by handing the ball off from beyond the 20, Well, all of a sudden, the pass game becomes more efficient. Yes, as I said, Rodgers will not throw as many balls this year. He won't complete as many passes. He won't have many, if any, 400-yard passing games, probably not many 300-yard passing games. But when he has, say, 250 yards in a passing game, it will come on fewer completions and throws than it did before because the passing plays should and will be more explosive or certainly producing more in the range of 8, 9, 10 yards instead of the 4, 5, and 6 yards that you see too often from the dump-off passes there. And then, of course, when you have guys who can just break it deep like Jaden Wally and Tulu Griffin and others, I'm really fascinated to see some of these younger receivers get into the mix as well, of course, with Justin Robinson working the outsides. And, yes, again, a tight end option in there. Oh, man. It still gripes a little, but surely Leach could have found a way, and maybe he tried to, and Jaquarius Spivey just decided he wanted to go somewhere where he was sure the ball would be thrown more, ending up at TCU. And he's got a conference um, victories there in the Big 12, but now he's back at Mississippi State. I keep going back to some plays he made late in that 2020 season when State high-pointed the ball his direction. You mix that into the offense. Then you've got the guys outside, the guys running deep. 
then Marks has more room to run, as does Price. And by the way, yes, I'm focusing on Marks because he is going to media days and speaking for it and the symbolism thereof. But let's not overlook the fact that Price is a good pass catcher himself and not just a dink and dunk pass catcher. Remember the deep strike touchdown he pulled in last year at the end of the south end zone at Scott Field? So you mix his speed in there and his ability to break loose and beat a defender downfield. You mix that in. Now you've got a couple of true freshmen, I say it's one true freshman in Seth Davis, who looked really good in spring at times. You have the Juco transfer Pittman, who looked nice in the spring game. And, of course, the guy we have yet to see in a Bulldog uniform in Kevon Lee, who's come from Penn State. In fact, he may end up being the second or third back in this option offense as we go into the new year, but that will play out during the course of August camp, as much as we're allowed to observe there to get a read on it. Point being, State has a running back room that is much happier because they're going to be much more utilized in this coming season. So consider all the ways that this will improve things. Like I said, the air raid remains an element in this offense, but when you've got the run threat, all of a sudden, well, here's another statistical example. Last year, the team had 66 first downs via rushing in 12 games. I think if this offense does what it could, there may be a single month this season where they end up with 66 first downs. Okay, that's maybe a little bit of a stretch because you're having to average, what, 15 a weekend on the ground, but you get the point. State is going to be able to move the chains via rushing the ball. State was pretty decent in third down conversions last year, despite the defenses pretty well knowing what was coming. Well, third down conversions were going to be much simpler this year Moving the chains, much more simple for the play calls when you know you can run the ball. And as for fourth downs, well, it's absolutely obvious what being able to shove the ball forward a yard or two does for an offense, and for that matter, does to a defense. Is it even a question what a legitimate running threat does for protecting the passer? And for the record, Rodgers was not really sacked abnormally often last year anyway, and despite the fact he's not much of a runner. And the you know defense is new to send the pass rush more often than not. He still wasn't sacked that many times relative to the other SEC quarterbacks. But now he should have more time to toss with the defenses forced to play it honestly. And along that line, hey, Arnett and Barbet now have a running quarterback at their disposal. You know Vanderbilt transfer Mike Wright. He's coming in and spring. Yeah, he struggled throwing the ball in the couple of scrimmages and practices we were able to watch him work. But he has no problem with the footwork, and uh, he can turn a scrambling play into a positive gain quite nicely, besides the fact you can plug him in for short yardage or goal line, even if the defense knows it's there. Well, he's still proven that he can run the ball when the defense is expecting him. So he adds that veteran depth as well, and frankly, it also gives freshman Chris Parson more time to get back to full strength, which he was not in spring. That set him back, so I don't really see him contending for the job in fall at all. But boy, could he be the future there, and especially as he will spend his whole career working in the new offense. He won't have to make a transition from one offensive style to another at Mississippi State. He will be staying in the same system with the same coordinator on through his early career. That's got to help the kid's direction. So... While there's a whole lot of sound reasons for Jaquavius Marks drawing the assignment this year, 
you know, a senior, well-spoken, well-regarded by his teammates, respected by his opponents who have seen what he can do when he does get the ball. This is also an employment statement. Mississippi State has new offensive intentions for this year, and that includes running the ball, and that's one reason, maybe not the only reason, but certainly one good reason, to send Jaquavius Marks to SEC Media Days. The state goes next Tuesday afternoon, 1 o'clock, as I said, sharing the podium with Auburn, and we'll have full reporting from Nashville and the Grand Hyatt uh, next Tuesday, as we said. So that's uh, what's shaping up in football right now. Um, no other real news coming football in this past week. Um, the staff has been taking their vacations. They'll start reassembling after the media days, and we'll see what's going on as far as preseason you know are there any remaining eligibility questions could state get another offensive lineman into the fold through the portal in time to start the second semester summer school so on and so forth we'll have updates for you there but right now as i record this they should be in about round 14 of the major league draft 20 rounds today of course in mississippi state so far it's coming out pretty well um I say pretty well because they're going to lose two players, it looks like right now, both signees. Um, One was expected. When you signed shortstop Colin Hoke and you knew he had first-round potential, well, he did get a first-round call, so just go ahead and assume that he will not be in the fold next year. But, you know, it costs you nothing to sign these guys and take the chance. Well, I say that. Sometimes when you sign these guys, it may cost you the chance to sign a, a shortstop or a similar position, who knows he's coming to campus, but hey, why not throw the dice? Of course, State did the same thing last year. The shortstop from Texas decided indeed to turn pro after he got that early first-round call as well. So uh, that's uh, 0 for 2 on the first-round shortstops that Chris Lamonis has signed, but you know, you got to sign him to get him in first and then just hope the draft plays to your advantage, which it didn't in this case. A little more surprising Normally, I would say a fourth-round draft pick going pro is not a surprise. I think what is is that by all reports, Aiden Smith is getting more money than a fourth-round slot probably merits. You know, we talk about these slot values if they're written in stone. Well, to some extent they are, but of course, as you figure out during the course of the draft, teams do have a little wiggle room there, particularly if they don't if they don't expect to sign other guys, they can go to their draft pool money in that respect and up the ante, and that looks like what it's going to happen. Uh, as of today, he'd certainly not signed a pro contract, but as far as outfielder Aiden Smith is concerned, that's probably assumed right now. The good news, shortstop Dylan Cup, by all indications, his own in fact, including social media, he's turning down some pretty good money. In fact, he may be getting more money Uh, Then Aiden Smith was offered in a higher round, and at this point it looks like he'll be coming to college. In fact, he's already in town, although, as you know, that doesn't really mean anything. If you've just moved in for the summer semester and just gone to a class or two, uh, that does not commit you to staying in the full school year. But it looks like he'll stick around, as will right-hand pitcher McKay Grant. So State could have done a little better out of the draft so far, but uh, I think everything is playing along pretty much as they expected when they signed these guys. Now, what are the veterans? Oh, but speaking of signees, State has added another one. Uh, Evan Spolita, a catcher, primarily a catcher, but uh, he also can play corner infield, and he's a left-handed bat. So add that one to the 2024 roster, and it looks like he will not be a draft issue at all. 
As for the veteran Bulldogs, of course, you know Colton Ledbetter went in the second round, and he'll go uh, the one-year transfer, and that was expected that he would probably be state's highest draft choice, and indeed he was. So thanks for the season you gave us, and best of luck in pro ball. A little more surprising that right-handed pitcher Cade Smith went in the sixth round. More projections had him somewhere between 8 and 12 in that area, largely because he had the injury midseason that cost him some games, and when he did get get back into action, was not really full strength for quite a while. But he's being drafted on potential. He certainly got it. Mississippi State really had the fingers crossed that maybe, 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 he would fall into the teen rounds. Instead, the right-hander went in the sixth round, and it is assumed that he will indeed be taking his game to the professional level now. So, and if that's true, well, best of luck. Hope you stay healthy and represent us well. In fact, Mississippi State's already being represented in the All-Star game with Brent Rooker um, getting that call. So, just good to see another dog. I think, um, what was the count I had? He's 12th. Yeah, I think he's the 12th Diamond Dog over the years to play in the All-Star game. So, so far, the draft, no huge surprises. Um, maybe one minor little surprise on the value given to one of the signees, Smith. Otherwise, seems to be going pretty much as planned. But this is the Major League Draft, and once teams get down into the lower teen rounds, drafting guys that maybe they don't even expect to sign themselves and hope to use that money on some of their higher picks, it's still you have to get through the signing period, which, of course, is the end of this month. So maybe some wait and see with a couple of these guys, and we, as we, especially after this third day and the last rounds of the 20-round draft play out. So what's going on in the transfer portal now? Well, State picked up a third baseman, Logan Kohler, who began his career at Oklahoma and then transferred to Memphis, where he was easily their best player. Of course, Mississippi State played against Memphis this past year. And he's coming in to fill that open third base position. I think State is looking for another possible third baseman out there, but Kohler really does fill an immediate need that Chris Limonis and Jake Gotro had on the defensive side. Of course, State picked up a backup catcher in Johnny Long from Pitt. I know, I know it's probably cruel of me to say backup catcher, but you understand that Ross Highfield is coming back, and he is projected as Mississippi State's catcher for the long haul there. But you got to have depth, which, of course, I mentioned with uh, the signing of Spolita. So him being a high school kid, his calendar is uh, not so cramped, and maybe he has time to play backup catcher but also work in as a first or third baseman. So he has those options there. But Johnny Long, you've got to have some veteran depth at the catching position, and now State certainly has it, especially because Highfield still is a work in progress there. He'll be the starting catcher in 2024, but he is far from a polished product just yet. And, of course, the earliest signing from the portal, left-handed pitcher Nate Lamb. Which brings us to the portal question of the day. There are mixed reports all over whether Braden Montgomery, as of this point, as I record this, nearing about uh, 2 o'clock Central Time, has he formally entered the portal yet or not? Uh, doesn't have to today. The portal still is open through the 13th. And also remember that if you enter the portal by the 13th or by the last day, whether it's football on May 15th, basketball with their own winter period, if you are in the portal, then you can still sign on into the next semester. So he could still wait several days, maybe weeks, 
then sign on with whoever he wants to and play the 2024 season somewhere other than Stanford if indeed he has entered the portal. Indications are that he will. The Mississippi native, well, obviously he's on the wish list. No, he is the wish list for Mississippi State baseball at this point because those of us who watched uh, his play in the regional as Stanford hosted, so yeah, the kid is for real. He is a big bat, an excellent outfielder, and he would immediately move into Mississippi State's starting lineup and settle all sorts of questions both in the defensive lineup as well as the batting order, way up at the top of the order, obviously. But again, first you have to be in the portal, and then you have to be signed, and he will be targeted by everyone. And I do mean everyone. You know, we talk about how late guys can sign on. Well, keep in mind that a certain pitcher who went to a certain SEC school and now has a championship ring and first-round draft pick, first overall draft pick status to show for it, he didn't sign until late July. The The portal had long closed. The draft had long been out of the way. So this is something that will continue all the way through the month of July as portal guys stay, as they go, as they sign, as they don't sign. Do they sign pro contracts too? There's so much going on with the draft, with the portal. (sighs) Parenthetically, we could talk about how surely there's going to be some way to move it around. The Major League Baseball draft, they're going to put it where they're going to put it. And colleges cannot really have much influence on that. They've made the decision to tie the draft to the All-Star weekend, which um, maybe it makes it a bigger deal. Maybe it doesn't. I, I do appreciate the better TV coverage it has now, certainly for the first day than it used to. But the fact is, it's a headache when it combines with the portal. So probably the only change that could come would be from the NCAA, as long as they have power over such things, which they're not going to have in football for very much longer, but I think they'll still keep in basketball and baseball because they're championship tournament sports and not a playoff-type sport. There is a difference. They need to change the portal dates. In fact, there is talk, and I think there'll be a vote in October about shortening up the transfer periods to some 60 total days in the year to only 30 days. If they tighten up the portal period for baseball and get the portal closed before the draft, I think that would help college coaches out tremendously. Whether it's good for the players or not, I don't know. It means that they, if they're going to do any NIL deals as part of their transfers, they have less time to do it. Of course, the collectives running NILs, they have less time to identify and decide, do I spend money on these guys? Because remember, the one advantage to the portal closing a couple of days after the draft is you've got all the draft results done. You, you have a pretty good idea who's going to sign, who isn't, including some of these portal guys who can get drafted. Although I need to do a little research on that, or better yet, somebody like D1 Baseball, who's much deeper in such areas, kind of run some numbers on how many guys who were in the portal got drafted this year, if any. A 20-round draft, probably not very many. If we went back to the old 40-day draft, yeah, you'd see many more portal guys getting that call because they could be playing the portal off against the big league clubs, much like the old, well, I'm a junior, I could go back to college, so you need to draft me higher. That could be some uh, interesting dynamics going on if they tied those together. But frankly, for the peace of mind of coaches, and not to mention us fans, it would be so much nicer if the those periods didn't exactly coincide as they're doing right now. 
hey, I'm just talking for me. You may feel different about it. You might like the excitement of all these things being jammed together, but it sure is a headache as far as coverage there. But hey, you're going to find the best coverage on jeanspage.com. Steve Robertson and Robbie Falk staying on top of the draft and the transfer portal this year. Um, I've been working on football primarily with media days, and which I will be attending. I'm doing some work as well. We've got an upcoming story on you know one of the big uh, things in predicting what teams are going to do in seasons is to look at um, how much percentages of certain areas, statistics or playing starts or things like that, they have returning. Well, I've got one of the stories. It'll be ready to go uh, probably towards the end of this week. For right now, we're working on Media Day's coverage and what will be some of the questions that Zach Arnett is most likely to hear in his first turn. Remember, this year it's in Nashville, last year in Atlanta. So I'll be there by Monday evening sometime and find my happy little place at the Grand Hyatt on Tuesday afternoon, ready to talk to Zach Arnett and players. Between now and then, of course, we'll be keeping on what happens with the draft, what changes, what doesn't. And by the way, Bulldog basketball, they're still doing their once-a-week practices uh, that allowed by the NCAA because they'll be taking the tour of Portugal in about another two weeks. So Chris Jan's team is busy getting ready for, to play basketball way before regular practices even begin. So there'll be a lot to talk about even as we go into what is normally the slowest month of the season, July. Uh, one more parenthetical note. I don't want the College World Series moved because I need a month that doesn't have any sports being played. And maybe it gives me a little trouble finding stuff to cover, but you know what? Sometimes we just need a break. But you're not getting a break from the doghouse, not as long as we're here on the Believe Podcast Network. This is your host, David Murray. Enjoyed talking to you today. Let's tune in next week and get the update, final results on the draft, and a full report from SEC Media Days. Thanks for checking in this week. We'll be talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.